0: Well, good morning. I'm uh, David Chan, your missions pastor, and I get the privilege of uh, speaking today and kicking us off on missions week, uh, missions emphasis week. Uh, Of course, we have to begin with acknowledging what's going on in our time and day, and as already has been acknowledged a little bit, uh, what can we say? But how about them royals, right? Uh, Apparently, the team, it's the team that the United States is cheering for, according to our newspaper, it said 47 out of 50 states are cheering for the royals. Uh, certainly lighting up the town with a blue projection. I saw Friday night driving away from downtown, there's a blue projection of KC uh, up on the Kauffman Center. Uh, there's a blue KC light lighting up some window of this huge office building here in Overland Park. And it's really neat to see the, the thrill and the excitement around town for, uh, for what's going on. Uh, with the Royals. And, and so I'm from Texas. I'm a Rangers guy. and you know, But back in May or June, they were already out of the race. So I've been able to latch on to my Royal friends and say, all right, let's do this. Let's, let's pull for them. Uh, and it's been fun. It's been fun for me to be a part of that. And as we'll see this morning, that does tie into to, to part of what I'd like for us to look at uh, when we talk about uh, the Kingdom of God here in just a moment. Uh, but, but this is part of a Profiles of Courage series that we've been, uh, that we've been being led through by Pastor Mark specifically looking at the life of Joseph uh, in, in those last few chapters of Genesis. And, and one of the ways that this connects with what we're going to talk about this morning is, is Joseph was someone who found himself, involuntarily at, at, at first, being part of the story of God. You know, he knew that God spoke to him. He knew he had a role to play in, in, in the mission of God. He had these, in fact, he had dreams and ambitions of what God might do with him, yet, yet he didn't know the path, he didn't know the way, and, and what turns out to be a, not by his choice, not by his own doing, he winds up in Egypt, and he winds up being elevated to a position where by the end of the story in Genesis 50, I'll just give you a, a small glimpse of, of the end of the story. Uh, in Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers, what you intended for evil or to harm me, the Lord has intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So you see how Joseph didn't even just say, oh, what you intended for evil turned out for good, because now look at my place that I have, my royalty, my position. He says, no, actually what you intended for evil, God has has used so that I could be part of the story of God, which is unfolding before us. Because see, Joseph knew that back in, they didn't know the the chapter and verse, but back in Genesis 12, uh, just a couple of generations before him, he knew that Abraham had received the invitation from God to say, I want to bless you, said God to Abraham, and you will be a blessing to the nations. That was the covenant that God made with Abraham, and Joseph was now part of that story. So even though Abraham went voluntarily and, and chose to obey voluntarily, Joseph chose involuntarily to be part of the work of God, but, they were st- but he came to the point where he recognized, I am part of a bigger story. I'm part of the story of God that he told Abraham a few generations ago, and God is using me to bless the nations the Egyptians, and the other countries that were around them in the time of famine. So we see that as we, as we look at that, with that in mind, we're going to look at, at what does it look like for the kingdom of God, that bigger story that continues to advance in our day. What does it look like for us to be a part of that? And are we really engaging in that? Uh, so a lot of times we think about the kingdom of God as something that's future tense, and, and we wrestle with it. Is it present tense? Is it future tense? And we're going to look at how, in fact, it is actually both. Uh, but this ties into the whole idea of being a Royals fan today, right because royals it 's interesting how more fans tend to come up right out of the woodworks out of the out of the shadows whenever a team starts to do really well uh, it's really it 's really fun, but I think part of their draw for that is that you get to be part of a bigger story right? it 's like their story becomes our story, and you get to become part of something exciting going on so so even this Texas guy is pulling for the Royals and saying, "I believe that we will win, uh, which is I know a soccer chant, but it 's the same city, so we 'll use it and and and, you know, and I, I think I believe so much, though, so that we've applied so much faith to this that if you notice that one of the auction items that we anticipate having are uh, two World Series tickets. So that's how much faith we're applying to this, <laughs> this idea that the Royals are gonna continue playing. Uh, we do have a good source that, if they do advance, uh, we have a shot at maybe offering that as part of the auction. Uh, so that's taken, I believe, we will win to a whole different level, I know. It, uh, that's, we'll just leave that to see what actually happens. But it's fun, it's fun to be part of a bigger story. Uh, and, and to be swept up into that. So with that in mind, what is the bigger story that Jesus, when he comes into the scene in the New Testament, many years, over a thousand years after Joseph, what is it that he continues to say and do that makes a difference for us today? Uh, As we look at at this, we're going to look at Jesus' view of the kingdom of God and how he begins to announce this. He begins to use this phrase, and and a lot of times we see kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, and they're uh, sometimes not sure what it is that that they're talking about. But we're just going to focus on the phrase kingdom of God this morning. And what is it that Jesus was doing when he announced, repent, the kingdom of God is here or near, or both and, here and near. Um, Scripture bears ample evidence that when you look at the, the, the Bible as a whole, the Bible is full of wonderful stories where we can gain so many great concepts for life and, and characteristics and attributes of God. But when you step back and look at the story as a whole, it has a, a, a dominant theme running from Genesis to Revelation. And that dominant theme is what he started with Abram. He said, "Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to work through you so that you can demonstrate my plans and purposes to the nations of the world. That's been God's plan since the beginning when he calls the people to himself for his mission. And, and we see that over and over again in Scripture, that the, the people of God are blessed so that they can be a blessing. Uh, it's his glory made known to all people from every nation. Joseph understood that by the end of his life. And we see over, over and over again the Old Testament characters uh, grappling with that and understanding that, that that was God's ultimate goal and purpose. Now, that's probably, that's probably a, a pretty bold claim, isn't it, to be able to say this is God's ultimate goal and purpose. I don't say it lightly, having just, you know, studied for a week on this or whatever. I, I say it with the, with the echoes of centuries of, of people who have, who have thought and who have exercised Christendom and Christianity throughout the ages who say, when we lose our way, let's remember that the ultimate story, the ultimate plan and purpose of God is to make his name glorified, make his name known so that he would draw all peoples to himself. That is God's plan for earth's history. So therefore, there should be some application point of how that should be part of the plan for our own lives, and we'll explore that here in a moment. Uh, But unfortunately, it's very easy for us, like we'll see in a moment with the nation of Israel, to lose sight of that greater story that we're invited to be a part of. Uh, I recently got an email from a ministry that's well-intended. It's offering a resource saying, here's some practical ways to be missional. And a couple of them include how to fit missions into your schedule or 10 practical ways to be missional without adding anything to your schedule. Now, I appreciate the suggestions, but what's the problem with that perspective? (laughs) That perspective is still, I have my schedule. I am living out my story. I've got my plans and purposes for my life. Thank you, God, for blessing me with the things that I've been able to, to have in order to live out my plans and purposes for my life. Oh, but let's see. I'm reminded about the mission of God. How can I fit that into my schedule without adding anything or disturbing it too much? I appreciate the intention. It's, it's trying to start in a place of reality and move us towards maybe a, a place of freedom where we can actually live into the purposes of God in very natural ways. Uh, but the problem is that it still begins with us first. And that was the problem that the nation of Israel encountered. They had high hopes for the presence of God to be revealed through them. But the more they, they seemed to engage in that, the more they, they had that natural tendency of lo- lo- moving towards self-centeredness and ethnocentrism and saying, okay, God, what are you going to do through us or for us? Uh, and maybe stopping at that point. Uh, in Judges 2, 18 and 19, it's just one example. It says there that whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them. Do you hear that? I love that. Because no matter how many times we... We maybe stray away from the mission of God in our lives. He has compassion for us, and he reaches out to us. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, more off track than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them, refusing to give up their evil practices in stubborn ways. Here we have an amazing thing that we better be careful not to allow it to escape us. The people of God who worshiped God and experienced the blessing and the favor of God, so lost their way that God said, you've chosen evil ways, you've chosen corrupt ways, you've chosen stubborn ways, whenever they lost sight of the purpose of God. Uh, that was the, the pattern of, of the rhythm of Israel's history. And we can see that uh, graphically illustrated here. There we go the cycles of Israel's journey, how they were cruising along for a while, doing well, and then they would fall. They would begin a a backsliding. They would lose their sight of what God's purpose is for them. Uh, And then at that point would come a judge, as it says here in Judges chapter 2. Somebody would intervene and would help them to to come out of that slump that they were in. And I am having trouble with this. Okay. So that judge would step in, in, in and change things, and the cycle would continue. They would do well, and then they would slump again. And then the judge would intervene again, and God would save them, as we just read here in this passage. And so this was the cycle of Israel's journey all along, going back and forth, back and forth. Um, and, and the problem was that they, they lost focus. And so I'm encouraged by that, actually. I'm encouraged by that because I know that that's kind of our tendency as well. Um, as often seems to happen, the way we read Scripture or the way we read God and what he's doing in the world so easily becomes about us, and it stops there. Uh, it is about what God wants to do in us, but it always becomes what God wants to do through us. Do you see that? It's the blessed to be a blessing. And one of the examples that we have for this that I like to use is, is Psalm 46:10 uh, of kind of the way we read Scripture. In, in Psalm 46:10, it says, "Be still, what? And know that I am God." right? What else? Yes, sir, Matt Dolliver, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. You see, but most of us stop at that first part, right? We know the be still and know that I am God part. Uh, But then we, because we like the idea of God being our peace and our comfort. And God wants us to know that. He has compassion on us. He wants us to know that he is our peace and our comfort. But in the end, he says, but here's why you can be still and know that I am God. Because I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Because my purpose for history will prevail. So this cycle of obedience, moral failure, repentance, and restoration uh, that we see in the life of Israel can tend to be ours as well when we read Scripture through the eyes of just what is God doing in me and for me. Uh, That's definitely part of the package, but it's meant to be lived out through us. So we regard that second part of God's blessing for the nations, for the peoples of the earth, as something that we might outsource or try to fit into our schedule as that email suggested. Yet the narrative of scripture just has evidence after evidence that his purpose is to draw people to himself so that we would lift him up among the lost and the broken, not only in our neighborhood, but in the nations of the world, and that they would come to know him. Yet the nation of Israel had a blurred vision of this uh, of, of God's final judgment and victory. They understood their fact of life, that you know, they were cruising, they're trying to do what God wants, and we saw earlier, they'd go down and come back up, they'd go down and come back up, but they believed that in this present age, there would be a breaking in that God would actually come on a day that they called the, the day of the Lord, that he would come in and then he would make all things right. He would eradicate the opponents of Israel. He would He would raise up the, the, the city of God once again and that and that uh, all peoples would, um, would come under the dominion of the Lordship of God. They were looking for the Messiah who would deliver them both politically and mil- militarily as well from the nations that were conquering them, in, in this case, the Romans at the time of Jesus. And they were looking for that everlasting kingdom, but in a way they saw that as, but we're in the center of it. God's going to do this for us. And so when Jesus actually comes into the scene, we find a conflict or a, or, or a crisis of faith for the followers of God. Because when Jesus comes onto the scene, he says, Yes, I am that Messiah. Yes, the kingdom of God is here. Yes, we're starting this plan of redemption and, and restoration, but it looks different than what they expected. It says here in the message version of Matthew 10 that we read earlier, tell them that the kingdom is here, Jesus says, as he calls his disciples to himself, and he equips them. And think about this. This is the, the first mission that God has for his disciples. This is ministry 101, all right? And look at the things he's calling them to do. You're going to bring health to the sick. You're going to raise the dead. You're going to touch the untouchables, that, those with leprosy in the time. You're going to kick out the demons because you've been treated generously by the Father. Therefore, live generously. Notice what he says here. Notice that Jesus says, we're going to do some things that, that penetrate this world of darkness and sin and brokenness. And through you, the kingdom of God is going to start showing itself in these ways. Pretty remarkable stuff. And it's the same thing that God wants to continue to do through us. If we are the people of God, still living in the purpose of the kingdom of God, then he wants to do these things in and through us but for the purpose of making the glory of God known to those who don't yet know him. Notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, okay, the kingdom of God is here, therefore bring everybody to the temple. Therefore bring as many people as you can to the synagogue. Interesting, right? It wasn't about how how can we gather everybody inside the walls of the church. He said, in fact, we're going to take the life of the church outside of these walls and live it in the world. In fact, we're going to go to the places where your religious leaders have actually told you you shouldn't go there because they're dirty or they're broken or, or you would become unclean or it just wouldn't be good. It wouldn't look right. Jesus challenges those assumptions. He says, this is the heart of the Father, that we take the kingdom of God to the broken places, to the places of darkness, and we're going to do it through you. Because you've been treated generously, freely you have received, so freely give. So this is the, 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 the scene that Jesus comes into, and when we look at Scripture, it's actually interesting that if you remove the Passion Week verses from the Gospels, about 50% of what Jesus does and says in the, in the New Testament Gospels focus on Jesus' healing, Jesus doing miracles, Jesus being among the poor and the lost and the, and the sinners as they, were, as they were labeled of the day. So Jesus is very much clear about what the mission of God is when he steps into the world and he invites his disciples to follow him. So they're doing this, right? They're starting to do this. They say, okay, Jesus said to do this. I've seen him do it. I'm going to try to do it the way he did. And they start finding success. They start saying, wow, the demons are, are actually fleeing from us and, and people are actually being healed. And it's causing people to say, who is this name that you're proclaiming that does these great things? It's working but it also causes doubt. So we see John the Baptist, someone who was actually one who prepared the way for Jesus, one of his closest people, he comes to the point and says, wait a minute, Jesus, but this does not look like the kingdom. He expresses, I think, what many in the hearts of the, of the Israelites of that day, the, the people of God, they had this, this tension in their hearts, saying, Lord, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting, or should we look for someone else? Is this really the day of the Lord? Is this, is this really the Messiah that, that we thought would come, it, it doesn't seem to jive, it doesn't seem to match with our expectations. So Jesus gives them a corrected vision of their blurred vision. And he says, yes, indeed I am. And he says, but let me put it to you a little differently. So, so, so we see that if, if we use this diagram to help us, we see that Jesus comes in his first coming and it, it's into the present age, but he shows us later that he's going to come a second time. And there's this in-between time that's shown by those dashed lines. And in this in-between time, the kingdom of God is here, and it's begun to work. It's begun to manifest itself through you, through the things that I ask you and invite you to do in the name of the Father. But also, the kingdom of God is future. It's coming, and when it comes in the future after that second coming of Christ, the kingdom of God is going to be permanent. It's going to be tangible. Nobody will be able to miss it. You're either in or you're out. You'll either be within the rule and reign of God uh, in all of its way, or, or you'll be Separated from, from God forever. So, but that day is not here yet, Jesus says. Because we live in an in-between time. We live in an in-between time that was not expected. That's, that's here before the age to come. And it's the present age. And, and in some ways, we look at that this is a time of mercy for the nations. And when the and when Jesus' own hometown heard this, if you if you look at Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes onto the scene. He says, Hey guys, you're not gonna believe this, but I'm the Messiah. And at first, it tells us that they're amazed in a good way. They say, ooh, ah, wow, cool, could it be? That's their first response. But then when Jesus tells them, but you know what, we're not about to usher in this kingdom that's permanent, that elevates Israel as kind of the people of God, and yay, we won, and everybody else is defeated. We're not going to take up a sword. We're not going to form a political party. He says, but in the meantime, the kingdom of God is here because we're going to make the glory of God known to the Gentiles, to all the peoples of the earth. And in Luke 4, you see that as soon as Jesus talks about that, the crowd, his hometown, (laughs) his, you know, think about, you know, the hometown turning on the royals or the chiefs, you know, that's that kind of, they become infuriated to the point of wanting to throw him off a cliff to his death. Why was that? Perhaps because of the blurred vision of thinking God has come for me and for us and he's now going to deliver us and Jesus saying, Well, yeah, you know, God's blessed you and He's actually done a lot in your life, but we're now equipped. We're now living in this moment in age and time so we can make the mercy of God known to all the people who do not know God. And now that's easy for us to apply if we say, Well, yeah, we have a neighbor. I have a coworker. They're good guys. They're good girls. You know, they're good kids. And yeah, you know, and I really want, I really want God to, to break into their life. I, I could see that. Uh, but what about the places where we fear? that the kingdom of God cannot penetrate? What about the people we fear? What about militant Muslims? What about fill in the blank? Who is it that in your mind is impossible or maybe even not deserving of the kingdom of God breaking in and giving life and hope and salvation? And Jesus yet turns and says to us, that's where we need to go. The mission is not done. The future age to come will not arrive yet until We go there. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel, this good news of the kingdom breaking in, shall be made known, shall be as a witness to all the world, to all the nations of the earth, and then the end will come. So Jesus is pretty clear. And so we have to choose to believe. We have to make a choice. It's either all about God's glory, and and, and all of history is about how we're going to help bring God's glory to all the peoples of the earth, or there's a competing history, an alternative, that you could be a part of, if you choose to, we either believe that Matthew twenty four fourteen is true for all, that the mission of the people of God is to make His name known to all the peoples of the world, or we believe it's an elective. And those who choose it, like Doug and Karen, who shared with us last week, good for them. But I'm not going to be fully involved. We don't have a, we don't have any other choice. We either choose to believe that it's for all, or it's not at all. And yet, if we say Jesus is our Lord, if we're under His authority then we have to look at his words more closely. But here's a beautiful thing of what happens when the kingdom of God begins to exercise itself through our lives. Because as we see in Matthew 10 and in other parts of the Gospels, we see that when Jesus comes and says the kingdom of God is here, he says we're going we're to take the battle to the enemy. We're going to confront the powers of the enemy. We're going to confront his weapons, the weapons of sin. We're going to confront death. And we're going to confront the powers of darkness. That's why he said, bind the evil ones, bind the, bind, the, bind the demons and cast them out because we need to show that wherever the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God shows up, darkness has to flee. So that's the purpose of, of, in, of how he talks about casting out demons. And in our day and age, maybe you're confronted with that from time to time. We don't, we don't see that as much manifested in our North American culture. But we do see injustice and, and, and control and addiction and ways in which the powers of darkness seem to have a grip on people or on things or on communities. Poverty, uh, lack of education, the things that, that tend to grip people into a place of oppression. And Jesus says to us, you can now go there, and in my name and in my my authority, you can break that. That's what it means to bring the rule and reign of of the kingdom of God to that place. But what about sin? You know, Jesus says, you know, I have come so that you would have life and have life everlasting. We know that Jesus becomes our forgiveness of our sins, uh, the forgiveness of our sins by, by paying for it. But do we also recognize, as it says in Romans, that it means that we, as people living in the kingdom of God, no longer have to be slaves to sin. Paul uses that phrase. You are no longer a slave to sin. And so these are things in which the kingdom of God is supposed to demonstrate its victory in and through us when it comes to death, because Jesus rose from the dead and he said, I am going to prepare a place for you, and just as I rose, you will rise too. We can have the comfort and assurance to know that the moment we die physically, that we're with him forever it's just like going to sleep and waking up the next day that's death for a Christian that's why we can overcome the fear of that and that ought to embolden us to do anything that we dream along with God to be possible for the kingdom of God to manifest itself in our world and yet there's many places that we're scared to go West Africa I just heard that heart to heart ministries based here in Kansas City is inviting people to go with them and go be medical professionals in Liberia. Talk about staring death in the face and saying, where, oh, death is your victory? Where, oh, death is your sting? Because, you know, I'm redeemed. I'm part of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to go into the darkness to offer life and hope because my life is God's. It's in his hands and my days are in his hands. These are the weapons of the enemy that, that God has given his people to confront and defeat. They're not fully destroyed yet. Sin will continue to, to plague us. Death will continue to, to bother us and to, and to make us fearful. The powers of darkness will continue to try to come against us. But the fact that the kingdom of God is here, Jesus is saying, you know, live into this victory and let's demonstrate this victory to the world. Yet when we allow these things that we've been set free from to rule over us, how does the kingdom of God shine through? And, it, and it's, it's just a reality, isn't it, that... Even though the Bible says we are free from the power of sin, millions of, of, of believers still struggle with addictions, with, with, with sin that just won't let go. Uh, and it keeps us from shining the glory of the kingdom of God with those around us. But Jesus wants us to be free from it and perhaps stepping back and saying, God, I, I offer you not just a little bit of my schedule or not just this particular talent or not just this particular resource, but God, let me just, just say to you again, you are Lord and I want to live in your kingdom Show through me the power of victory over sin, death, and evil. Uh, I believe that's the invitation that God has for us. Uh, I've been learning to pray for the sick. And honestly, my upbringing told me that, oh, it's just one of those things that you just kind of, hey, and Lord, uh, if it's your will, and oh, you know, if you really are in a good mood today, or, you know, Lord, if you, if you really like this person, would you please heal them? You know, I, I, I just never known how to pray for the sick, to be honest with you, in a way that I see in Scripture that, that the disciples were told, hey, bring healings. Now, knowing that God in his wisdom and in his love knows when to do it and and not do it, knowing that it's not automatic, that somebody doesn't just have the gift of healing and everybody I touch, boom, 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 is healed. This perspective has helped me to know how to pray for the sick because I can then say, Lord, wouldn't it be really good for the kingdom of God to be demonstrated your victory over sin and death and, and sickness by healing this person and in the process having people see, wow, this is what the kingdom of God is about knowing that one day that person will die, you know, knowing that we'll, we one day face our terminal death anyway. But in the meantime, it gave us a glimpse of that kingdom of God that will come forever. Eternal life, eternal joy, no sickness, no death, no pain. I believe that's why, Jesus, that's why God heals today. And he doesn't heal everyone. And everyone who's healed eventually dies. <laughs> I'm sorry, I do not mean to laugh, but you know, it's part of a, a fact of life. And it, but it's a good thing when the Lord demonstrates his kingdom and tastes... And in in glimpses so that others would know that he is God and would come to know him. We've seen God do that for people in our midst, right? We've seen him answer some prayers for healing, and that becomes an incredible testimony. And we've seen him say, no, that person's healing is in eternity. But we also see the goodness of God and the compassion of God and the people of God rallying together in that. So either way, it can shine the goodness of the kingdom. Uh, But the point for us this morning is to realize that this is what what God has entrusted us with to demonstrate to the world that they can be free from sin, death, and darkness. Uh, And this is what the kingdom of God, the forward motion of the kingdom of God uh, was all about. Uh, I'm not going to go into this more in depth, but we have heard us talk a little bit about this before where where the theme of Scripture of blessed to be a blessing is is about covenant and kingdom. God has made a covenant with us and has invited us into his family. And in fact, he uses the word family that he is our father. And Jesus is his son and our brother. And, And because he's our father, he gives us identity as sons and daughters. And out of that identity flows our obedience for the father. That's our covenant relationship. But also this father that we have is also a king. He has a family business or he has a family mission. And he invites us to be part of that mission. Uh, But the interesting thing here, too, is it flows that same way, where we need to come under Jesus' authority. Jesus himself, who said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. So Jesus says, Look, the king has a business. This kingdom mission must go on, and it's gonna go on through our family. And I invite you to come under my authority to say, Lord, everything is yours. Let me live as an example of your kingdom. And as that happens, let me have power to impact or influence the people of the world who still don't know you, whether it's a neighbor or a nation. These are the the things that God uh, allows us to do. These are, when he says the kingdom of God is here, it was this forward motion that was to begin, the retaking of enemy territory, if you would, uh, before the king comes once and for all to defeat these things forever. So the question comes back around to us today. And the question is, as you pray, like we often do when we take communion or other times, when you pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'd like to ask you, who who comes to your mind? Who who are you called to demonstrate the kingdom of God to? And to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done. For whose spiritual freedom should you be wrestling for right now? I'm sure there's somebody that you ought to be wrestling for their spiritual freedom, freedom from sin. Uh, eternal life. Uh, I, know, I know some of you uh, often fill out prayer requests, and I love to see the ones that say, you know, pray for salvation for so, 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 so. Uh, because it, it just tells me that that person has taken an extra step in saying, I am wrestling for the freedom of this person's soul. I am giving myself to the kingdom work of God by praying regularly that they would be free. In what places are you called to demonstrate the courage of God in the face of fear and death? Are you called to go to Liberia? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, are you called to go to the inner city and say where there's fear, where there's death, where there's oppression, Lord, I want to I demonstrate a better way. I want to demonstrate an alternative that we don't have to fear death and destruction. Uh, maybe against what injustice or against what evil are you called to stand up against? Or as Doug and Karen asked us last week, who is your tribe that God wants to show his ways to them through you? Who is your tribe? I believe we all have one because the mission of God was given to all of his people. We all have places where God is saying, I want to shine the goodness of my kingdom, the gospel of my kingdom through you to those people in those places. But we must be willing to allow him to. We must position ourselves to do that. I believe that God gives us three things to enable us to do that. Uh, It takes courage. It really does, doesn't it? whether it's to witness to someone or to, or to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a difference in this part of the world or in this person's life. Uh, it takes courage to, to, to cross cultures, to cross languages, to cross boundaries. Uh, it takes courage. But when you know that everything is settled at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, if you can have that confidence that everything is settled and you know how the story ends, then you can be sent the power of God and in the same way as Joseph recognized at the end of his life oh I've been sent by God to do this thing even though it was a hard road to go through in the end it's for the glory of God to be made known to all the peoples of the world uh, he gives us courage to to take that on uh, God gives us community he calls us to do this together he never calls us to do this alone the the, the minimum reduction of sending in Jesus's day was two by two right and even in the New Testament, as we see the, the, the church expand and take on the world, it, it was groups of people, families of people, extended families working together to fulfill the mission of God, never alone. So it's not about just you making the, the difference in your workplace. Find some people that say, you know, I, I want to I see the kingdom come to these people. Would you join me in taking it to them? Would you join me in praying for them? It's always been about community, and God equips us as the body of Christ. The challenge is when we come together on a Sunday morning and there's several hundred people, that's not community. Right? This is encouragement, this is, this is worship, this is a celebration, but you have to find a smaller number of people to do community with in a way that you can do mission together as well. And this is what, what will magnify the power of our witness when several of us go and say, the kingdom of God is here. Uh, and we have to have commitment. That's what it comes down to all in the end, doesn't it? We have to have a commitment to his mission, a commitment to say, yes, God, your purpose in history is this, to glorify yourself and to draw all peoples to yourself so that in the end, when Revelation, when we see what happens in Revelation, we see a glimpse of the future, of the story ending, we see that there are people from every tribe and tongue and nation, an ethnic group, worshiping around the throne. from everyone. There are ethnic groups in the world today that yet don't have a gospel witness. So it's still our job to make him known. There are scripture languages today that don't have, or languages that don't have scripture translated into their language yet. It's our job to make that known. We still have a task to do in front of us, but it takes commitment. But you know what I fear more than anything when it comes to all this? I don't fear that we're afraid to pray. I don't fear that we're afraid to to pray for the sick or that, that we're afraid to even go into hard places, like whether it's the inner city or the Middle East. What I fear is that if the mission of God is the top priority on God's mind and heart, why isn't it ours? If it's the top priorities on God's mind and heart, why do we have to have suggestions of how we fit it into our schedule? That's what I fear the most. Because I fear that God's purpose is going to prevail. But will we be a part of that fulfillment of purpose? Or will we just be some who, who watched it happen or maybe didn't even see it happen because it was off of our radar? I just returned from a week in Cuba where it was amazing. We were teaching the church. A lot of lead, church leaders from all over the island came together, and they wanted to learn what is the big-picture mission of God. They're actually asking that question. You know, Cubans in a communist socialist state with severe restrictions, the word that I thought about for Cuba is scarcity. There's scarcity of transportation, scarcity of chicken, <laughs> scarcity of, of buildings like this where they can worship. And yet, you know what? In the last 20 years, the Cuban church is thriving. They are beautifully strong. And one of the reasons is because they come together And they have courage. They have commitment. But you know what else? What I realized that they don't have that's actually a blessing? They don't have options. You know, I've seen our affluence kind of materialism. You know, it gets in the way. Yeah, it does. But I never saw it this way before where our affluence actually gives us so many options that we don't make room for the kingdom of God and the the purposes of the kingdom of God. And they're all good options. You know, sports and volunteering and this and that. and They're great. But because of our wealth of options, I've, uh, it, it seems that, that, that we have to then scratch ourselves on the head and say, well, how do we participate in the kingdom of God and the mission of God in our world today? And yet what I saw in Cuba was because of their scarcity, they were able to live into the mission of God in very life-giving and joyful and wonderful ways. So Missions Week is coming up, and I almost don't want to call it that because Missions Emphasis Week, because it's, it's not about that, is it? It's not about one week of saying, okay, let's focus on this for a week, and then we're done for the year. But our hope is that it will help you to engage. Uh, Pick one thing. There's a long schedule of opportunities for for this week. Pick one thing that maybe resonates with you a little bit. And if there's nothing that resonates with you, but you have a passion for something, talk to me about it. Let's build into it. Uh, Let's let's ask the Lord, Lord, where do you want to show the kingdom of God in ways that is tangible, that we can be a part of, um, that can utilize our lives as instruments for your glory? Um, I invite you to consider how you will do that. I want to end end here with just giving you a couple of glimpses of, and these are just very few, I could could give you a long list of ways that the kingdom of God just evidences itself in the way we've been talking about here. But here here are just a few highlights. This is a picture of Lauren Timberlake from Mission Adelante, a Bhutanese ministry. We support the, the ministry and that family. And here's something she said recently in one of her newsletters. Summer is a great time to walk around our neighborhood and visit friends. Lois, their daughter, and I have been visiting several of the grandmas and aunties in my English classes together. We sit and sip tea and talk in broken English and Nepali. Lois brings so much joy wherever she goes, and she loves the treats they love to give her. (laughs) These are simple things, but I think that's the beauty of living here. When I sit in a Nepali home, and this is in Kansas City, Kansas, by the way, I breathe a prayer for them And sense God's presence with me. I pray they can sense Jesus too. And that his love pursues them and brings life throughout our neighborhood. Your daughter's joy. Tea and treats. Sitting in a home. The kingdom of God doesn't have to be complicated. But it does have to be intentional. Whether it's with a neighbor, with a colleague. Or with a nation of the world that yet doesn't have the gospel. Who will we be intentional towards so that they can have a taste of the kingdom of God. Uh, Wait No More is a campaign that, that uh, focuses on the family and other groups are partnering with the state of Kansas to say there are 400 kids in our foster care system in Kansas waiting to be adopted. 400. Really, for, for a state, that's not very many, is it? And the challenge is going out to the churches of Kansas to say, will you put an end to this? Can we have all these kids who are waiting for homes, can we have them taste the kingdom of God in a tangible way that makes a a forever difference in their lives. I'm sure there's more than 400 churches in Kansas. I wonder if one church could take on one each, what that would say. Uh, But are we too overcrowded? Are we too overscheduled? Are we too busy to think about something like this in a way the kingdom of God could be demonstrated uh, to those around us? I know it's not a small, light choice to make to invite another child into your life. But this is another example of the many, many ways in which the kingdom of God can be demonstrated in and through us. I want to show you one more of one of the difficult places when we think about the Middle East. And honestly, I know that when we think about Muslims and militant Islam, we think, oh, my, how is the kingdom of God ever going to break into them? And yet it's happening. But it's happening because people are going. Would you watch this brief video? There's hundreds of thousands of refugees. Right now we're in um, the city of Erbil, and we have over 200,000 refugees that came in just within a couple weeks. So there's basic needs that are not being met of hygiene supplies, um, beds, clothing, shoes. Most of these refugees fled in the night with absolutely nothing, just whatever they were wearing. Purpose of Cry is to be able to train and mobilize uh, responders worldwide. Um, really, the goal is to, uh, to leverage crisis in the place of whatever is happening to be able to have practical resources and skills to come in on the ground and be able to uh, bring relief, bring aid, but also to in, right in the midst of it, right in the midst of people's worst uh, hour, to bring the love of Christ, to be able to bring. Uh, hope and to be able to bring life and encouragement right there. A flak jacket in one hand, a prayer in the other. Not all of us are called to that kind of situation, but everywhere there are opportunities for the kingdom of God to break through. And when people who were fleeing for their lives found not only needs and basic needs, they found a savior for their sins. They found a savior who will give them eternal life.